Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Another Sunday that we get to do this, another Sunday that we get to just glorify our King, our God. We've been going through our codes together, and as we've been going through our codes, I want to just share something with you. I shared it in the 930 huddle, and I want to share with all of you guys, because sometimes we forget this this very important truth, and I'm going to ask you guys, it's it's interesting because we we went through We Believe the Hype um, last week. How many of you were blessed with We Believe the Hype last week, right? Faith in Christ and His Word. Amen. And today we're going to jump into We Are Not Normal. And um, this might just be that perfect, I said it last week, right, that perfect message for you. Like finally, a message to talk about me, that I'm not normal. And uh, so, so this might be for you. Uh, it is just for me. But the beauty behind this and the craziness as well behind this is um, we did a whole series on this a year and a half ago. We're not normal, called to be remarkable actually. And... Um, we did a four-week uh, four series. So I went back and I visited um, our messages that we did um, a year and a half ago. And it was amazing because I started to count and I said, man, 24 pages of notes. 24. And um, how, do, how am I going to do that all in one shot here with the church family today? So I condensed 24 pages of what God was uh, just bringing up again with this code into eight pages. So, so right there where you're at, just say, I'm, I'm praying for you, Pastor. And, and I would appreciate that today. Uh, we need prayer as well as we pray for you guys often. Um, as we jump into we are not normal, say be remarkable. And that's what this code is all about. It's not a, a code of, of just, oh, yeah, you know, we're just a normal church and a normal people doing normal things. Um, we hope that if you do life with us and if you just fellowship with us for a little bit, that you will recognize that we don't believe in being normal, not for once. I mean, if you just hang out for a little while with me, you'll recognize that definitely I'm not normal. And I'm, I'm okay and comfortable in my skin to admit that already. Anyone comfortable in their skin to just admit already that they're not normal? Or you're, just, you're still kind of fighting that yet? Yeah, I'm still there. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say I'm definitely not normal. And in this truth of me telling you that I'm not normal... I know that God is calling us, God is calling me to be remarkable. And that's what we're going to talk about today, being remarkable. Before we go off, uh, many of you already have our code books. Hopefully you got a code book. If you don't, um, make sure you get one. Is there any more code books? Can anyone give me a a little sign if there is? Uh, Yes? Okay. If you need a code book today of our codes, you missed the first one, but it's okay. You could go to our podcast, our app. And hear it, but go ahead and raise your hand. We want to make sure you get one of these. We got one, two, three, four, five code books that we need right there. So, so keep them up. Keep them up till you, till you receive a book. And we are going to jump into our next page, which is our next code. We are not normal. So as we get on, you see, I, I expect all of you guys to take notes. And I said, you know, I can never, I can never share with people something that I myself don't do, right? So I said, I need to show them that I'm about this just like they're going to be about this. So I want you to take notes. I'm not the best note taker, but I tried to get cute. Like, this is as cute as I get. Okay. I use three different colors. That's cute, man. For me, like, that's cute. I know we don't use cute that much, but that's cute for me. And I even highlighted some main points. Everyone say, that's cute. All right. Okay, good. Thank you. And um, so I expect you to take some notes today. I took some notes on what I'm going to be sharing with you guys and... um, I hope you enjoy it today as God gives this word to us. As we start off, I want to give you the definition of normal. The definition is this. Conforming to the standard or the common type, it means usual, regular, natural, just approximately average. Remember that? Just, just average. It's regular, usual. When you read Paul's letters and Paul's writings... He writes as an apostle, a leader of the early church, a church planter of many churches, planter of many churches, a pastor among many pastors. And if you're of this house, you've heard me say this many times, Paul is anyone that could have just struggled for sure with pride and written letters to bask in himself. And in all the accomplishments that, man, that that he has 
has gone through and, and succeeded in and achieved in and, and Paul could have boasted in just about anything he's ever done. But instead, look what Paul writes to the church of Corinth in chapter 4 of the first book of Corinthians. I'm going to read just verse 9 and 10 and, and just flow with me. It says, for I think that God has displayed us. And now he's going to put himself out there. He's put me out there. God, the apostles last. Here's Paul, an apostle of God, but he now admits that God has displayed us last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle. Everyone say spectacle. A spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. And look at verse 10. Here's the, the not normal part, right? For we are fools. You don't like that. You're a fool. <laughs> Call me a fool. Paul's like, you don't have to call me a fool. Watch this. We are fools, but watch. If I'm going to be a fool about anything, this is what you're going to call me a fool about. I am a fool for the sake of Christ, he says. And you are wise in Christ, and we are weak, but you are strong, and you are distinguished, but we are dishonored. This is what it means to serve God as an apostle, Paul says. I'm going to read it from Eugene Peterson's translation. Eugene Peterson in the message says, It seems to me that God has put us to bear his message on stage in a theater in which no one wants to buy a ticket. Can you imagine that? Big show coming, no one shows up. Where something everyone stands around and stares at, like an accident in the street. Oh man, do we know that here in the Palmetto? Where, where the Messiah's misfits. There should have been an amen there. You might be sure of yourselves, but we live in the midst of frailties and uncertainties. You might be well thought of by others, but, but we're most likely well, kicked around. Most of, most of the time, we don't even have enough to eat. We wear patched and threadbare clothes. Yeah, not, not your name brands. We get doors slammed in our faces, and we pick up odd jobs anywhere we can eke out a living. Anyone there? When they call us names, we say... God bless you. God bless you. When they spread rumors about us, we put in a good word for them. I love this, right? We turn the other cheek, man. We're treated like garbage, potato peelings from the culture's kitchen. And it's not getting any better. Come on. When you read this, what do you get out of this? This is not normal. Rare. This is definitely not common. This is, like he's basically saying, like, we don't fit in. We actually fit out. Like, we are outside of the norm here. Something's different about me, Paul says. Hey, you've ever been around a group of people and you've ever recognized, like, I'm just different than them. Ever been there? Ever not fit in with a group of people? I just don't fit in with them. It happens to me so often. I don't know if it's my weirdness, but I just don't fit in with them. I just don't know what it is. Sometimes you're like, what's wrong with you? Are you mad? No, I'm just weird. I just don't fit in. I just don't get it. I just don't understand it. I just don't. I just, ever been there? Is it just me? I'm just struggling with that, right? And, and here's Paul. He's like, I get it, Regal. I've been there. And I, my door's been slammed in my face. I'm, I'm, I'm just potato peelings from the, the culture's kitchen. I'm not, it's not getting better. I'm, I'm, it's, it's just not normal. It's just not normal. I think about the story of Jeremiah. You can turn to the book of Jeremiah if you want. It's, and if not, we'll put it on the screen. But Mary, Jeremiah's story is definitely not a normal story. He was a prophet in Israel and Judah during a really tough and difficult time in their history. Let me give you a little bit of an update of what's happened before I read this passage. They continue to be conquered, uh, Jerusalem, and by, by different kings and different nations. And Israel was now split into two different kingdoms, into two different people groups, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. If you've ever read the Old Testament, like, this is weird. How can Israel both be Judah and Israel? Um, and, and you get a little confused. Well, it was split by different kings. And Jeremiah now, as a prophet, was to deliver the good news to both the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And the Lord was going to make a new covenant with Israel as a whole. And Jeremiah, if you study it, you will recognize that he's about 17 years old. Anyone here 17 years old? That will be so awesome if there's someone here today. You are 17 years old, Joella. You are 17 years old. Can both of you just stand up for a moment? Look at these amazing 17-year-olds. Hey, are you guys up for something? Come here. Be my guest today. Join me for the message. Come on. Give them a hand. Yeah, yeah. We got 17-year-olds 
at church. We got 17-year-olds at church when they could have slept in and they could have gone out last night and they could have rebelled against their parents, but they're in the house of God. Like, you should give God some praise. All right, 17-year-olds. Just don't disappear from me, okay? Stay right here. 17-year-olds, I get it. They're, they're young women, but... We're talking about a young man named Jeremiah, most likely 17 years old. You guys have cheat sheets here. You can see how, how we do this here. And now he was to speak to God's people. At 17 years old, he was to speak to God's people. And how they first would fall to the Babylonians. Hey, guys, some stuff's going to happen to you all. You're going to fall to some enemies. One of them's called the Babylonians. And, and the reason why you're going to fall is not due to any lack on God's part. It's actually the lack on your part. You're not really seeking him. You're not really knowing him. You're not really loving him. He's not unfaithful to you, Israel. What's happening, he's 17 years old. He has to tell this to, to, to a nation. What's happening is you're not being faithful to God. You're not listening. Instead, you're listening to the false prophets. <laughs> so who do we listen to? Us 17-year-olds. That's what Jeremiah is saying. Can you imagine a 17-year-old going up to kings and says, you're listening to the wrong voices. Well, who do I listen to? Listen to me. You're only 17. Right. But I hear from God. Come on, man. <laughs> listen, some of the most powerful messages that have been preached to me has been by my three-and-a-half-year-old son. <laughs> you guys don't believe it. But if you're close to me, you know that that's true. 17 years old, we hear from God. And, and okay. You guys touch my stuff. <laughs> Let, let's just read. Don't, you're doing a good job. You haven't even moved your hands from the podium. It's good. It's good. I taught her for like two years or whatnot at Day Christian. Amen? She's doing a good job, right? She's doing a good job. Joella. Everyone say Joella. All right, ready? I'm teaching you today, so if I didn't get to teach you for two years, but we'll teach you today. It says... Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. Listen to Jeremiah's life. Listen to this. I ordained you a prophet to the nations, Jeremiah. And then I said, oh, Lord, behold, I cannot speak for I am just a youth. I'm only 17 years old. But the Lord said to Jeremiah, do not say I am a youth for you shall go. Go to all whom I send you and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And then the Lord put forth his hand and he touched my mouth and the Lord said to me behold I have put my words in your mouth see that I have this day set you over nations and over kingdoms to root out and pull down to destroy throw down build and to plant come on someone but I'm only 17 right did you just see how I rewrote your whole resume did you catch this I mean, you look at the life of Jeremiah. So then the Lord continues on. He says, therefore, Jeremiah, you prepare yourself and arise, 17 years old, and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes and the priests, and against the people of the land, and they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail, for I am with you, says the Lord who delivers. Come on. It's powerful. Jeremiah's life, 17 years old. Guys, this was not an invite of a normal lifestyle. God was not moving Jeremiah to be average, regular, common life. If you look at this, he wasn't like, Jeremiah, just go out there and say a couple things. Be a nice little person. Live, love, comfortably. Everything's going to be lovely, Jeremiah. Everything's going to be dandy. doesn't sound anything like that when I read all these verses. When I read the life of Jeremiah, I start to recognize that Jeremiah, the last thing he was, was common. Jeremiah's life... It was a different standard in his life. He was called to be irregular, non-conformed life, to speak, to open his mouth. Yes, you are 17, Jeremiah, just like these two lovely young ladies. But just like them, you, you tell those kings, Jeremiah, you tell those princes, you tell those priests, you tell those nations, everyone in that land, everything that I tell you. That's amazing. That's amazing. You want to see how Jeremiah's life ends, just in case you forgot? You want to see some ending parts, girls? 
If anything does not minister to you today, let this minister to you. And then you can sit down and everyone's going to cheer for you guys because you guys are doing, you can let go of the podium now. Stretch a little bit. <laughs> All right. Look at, look at Jeremiah's unpopular, it actually says unpopular ministry. I would say Jeremiah's not normal ministry. That's what it should say. That's what it says in the New King James, unpopular ministry. Look at this. Oh, Lord. You ever been there in life? Oh, Lord. You've ever cried out to the Lord like that? Oh, Lord. Not, oh, Lord. No. Oh, Lord. You know what's going to come after that? Like, oh, yeah, nothing's good. Nothing, nothing good. But watch what he says. Oh, Lord, you induced me, told you. You enticed me. You, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I, but now it's a good thing. And you have prevailed against me. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me. A reproach and a derision daily. And then I said, I will not make mention of him. Nor will I speak anymore in his name. Did you catch this? Times are difficult. They're rising up against me. So I decided as a young man, Jeremiah, at 17 years old, I'm just not going to talk about God anymore. I know you called me to do this, but I'm just going to stay quiet. I still love you. Oh, Lord, you know I love you still. But his word, we'll say but. Yeah. But his word was in my heart. And it was like a burning fire was shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. Lord, I'm going to hold it back. But then something happened. He says, but I can't hold it back. Your words are fire in my bones. And he says this, and I cried out. For I heard many mockings, many laughters of me, right? I fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watch for my stumbling. Ever had some friends become haters? For my stumbling, they said, perhaps he can, he can be induced and then he will prevail against him and we will take a revenge on him. Look at verse 11. But the Lord is with me as a mighty and awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. Man, he's like saying, my God fights for me. His word was like fire in my bones. They were out to get me. They made fun of me. I was a joke to everyone in the room. A joke. Everyone looked at me and pointed at me and said things about me. In every street corner, my name was known and it was not for good things. I love when I talk to someone and say, oh my God, we spoke about you the other day. And then what do they say right at that? But don't worry about it. It was all good things. You know very well if you've said that right away, nothing good was there. Why are you confirming that it was all good things to me? You know, oh, we just spoke about you a couple hours ago, but it was all good. Don't worry. Uh, you just worried me. In every corner, they're talking about me. I'm the laugh stock of Israel, he says. So I thought of staying quiet. I thought of saying no more, but I couldn't. His word was in my heart, and it was like a burning fire. It was shut up in my bones. I could not hold it back any longer. I can't be normal. I'm not filled in being normal. God has called me to be remarkable. God has called me to be not normal. How many of you could say, just like Jeremiah, I understand that for my life. I'm not called to be normal. Amen? These two young girls are next to me. But little did they know that God was going to give them a prophetic word today to tell them both that wherever they're at, wherever they're going or they think they're going, and wherever they possibly can be doing right now, whatever the past may say about them, whatever the present may speak to them, today God just put a stamp on both of them to confirm to them that, hey, I get it. I get the, oh, Lord, prayers that you could tell me. But I'm stamping this confirmation even to these two young ladies that I'm calling you to be not normal, but to be remarkable for the kingdom of God all the days of your life. We believe this for these two girls. We believe this for these two girls. Come on, give them a hand and shout. You guys can be seated. Good job, good job, good job. Not normal. Say not normal. Say be remarkable. And Jeremiah came to the end of his life and recognized, yeah, my life has not been a normal one. My wife and I don't live normal lives as much as we try to pretend to live a normal life. We don't. We don't. Because we recognize that our lives represent the sake of the gospel. So everything that we do and how we do it before others has a consequences. And we recognize because of where we stand in our walk with the Lord and the 
calling that God has given us both, we recognize that our lives were never called to be normal. So watch this. There are times where we have really good friends that want us to go places and do things, and we have to say no because we're not normal. And there are times when we are in certain atmospheres and we got to stand a little bit different in those atmospheres and not fit in and be the awkward ones there. But it's okay because my wife and I, my family, we're not called to be normal. And I believe that for this church and for your family and for yourself. I believe that you're not called to be normal. You know what 1 Peter chapter 2 says? He says you are a chosen generation. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10 says you're a royal priesthood. You think that's normal? 1 Peter 2, 9 says, for you are a holy nation. You are his own special people that you would proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his amazing, marvelous light. You were once not a people of God, right? But now you are a people of God. Hey, everyone says, I was once normal. That's what he's saying there. But now I'm not normal. Who had not obtained mercy, but now I've obtained mercy. You, you know who verse 9 and 10 is talking about? Well, who verses 1 through 4 in the same chapters, 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking. Isn't that normal nowadays? Isn't that normal? As newborn babies, desire the pure milk of the word of God that you would grow. And if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God, and you are precious. Come on. You're not normal. So I, all I could tell you guys as we get into our next point is this. Ready? Don't settle for normal ever as a church, as a people, and in your own personal lives. Don't ever settle for normal. Man, I want you to do this. Ready? Reach for remarkable. Reach for remarkable. The word remarkable, just in case you did not know what remarkable means, here it is. Ready? I'm a man of definitions. Dictionary.com is the bomb. Here it is. Ready? Notably, conspicuously unusual, extraordinary, worthy of notice. Come on. Worthy of attention. That's who you are. No one sees me as worthwhile. Who lied to you for all those years? You are worthy of attention. You are worthy of notice. You want to know how much? Look at the cross and you'll see your worth. Oh, man, you are worthy. You are worthy to be remarkable. Say that to yourself. I am worthy. Come on, I want you to believe it. I am worthy in Christ. Let's get biblical here. To be remarkable. Let's get biblical. In Christ. To be remarkable. My worth is in Christ. To be remarkable. The word remarkable, it starts off with the word remark. We're going to break these words down real quick. Remark, mark, and able. And together we get the word remarkable. So flow with me. It's a lot of thoughts, a lot of 24 pages of notes into eight pages. Here we go. Don't worry about it. We're rolling through the pages. The word remarkable means to note again, to make aware again. And this happens, I believe this, through God's grace. And we believe here, we teach here at New Life, for sure, this right here. That through God's grace, that there is an again in you. Man, I know that touched someone's heart. How will I ever? How can I ever? How will we? And God says there's an again in you. You've ever felt like there's not an again in you? Like God can't do it again in you? Or God can't do it again for you? And, and it's because maybe we're absent of God's grace in our lives. And we haven't experienced the power of the grace of God that transforms us. There's an again, and the Lord can make us remarkable today. I think about Peter. Peter is one who had many slip-ups. Just listen to this. Peter is one who had many mistakes. I mean, Peter was awesome. He walked on water, but the next second, he's sinking in the water. He's great. But there's something amazing that happens at the end of Jesus' life in the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 33, if you're taking notes. The Lord is talking to his disciples. And Peter confesses this to Christ. He says, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you, even to death. I'll even die for you, Peter says. Be very careful when you tell some men I'll die for you. Because there might be a day where you might have to die for them, and then you're like, I, I was just kidding. <laughs> you know, what I meant that was, you know, I love you, but... But that's what Peter said, I'll... So committed to you that I'll even die for you. Do you know that just moments 
Moments after he said, I'll die for you, Jesus gets arrested. He, he gets taken to an illegal trial. And in the courtyard of this area, they see Peter three different times. Oh, we know you. You're one of his disciples. You're one of his followers. Just moments after, after just saying, I'm, I'll go to prison and I'll die for you. He's now cursing a storm. And he's denying that he even knew Jesus. That I don't even know that Christ. And, and he's in the courtyard and Jesus is there walking. And, and I could almost picture the heart of Christ, right? Peter, what's up, bro? You, you just told me like an hour ago that you're going to die for me, that you're about this. And he's like, yeah, God, but you know I'm about to die too, so I don't know you. With some explicit words there. I mean, when I read the life of Peter, it's very easy to stamp him as a loser. Huh? As a failure. Man, what a letdown Peter was. This was his chance in the courtyard to say, yeah, I know him. What are you going to do? I'm a lion in this courtyard. If you're going to take him down, take me down too. But you know what? Peter was married. Peter had kids. Peter has a mother-in-law. We know that. The Bible says it. Jesus lived with Peter's mother-in-law. So he sees, he's like, oh, God, I got to go back home to my kids and my wife. I can't just stand up for Jesus. Now they're going to kill me. Things got in the way from, from, from the way. Things got in the way from the way. Because Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. But in a second there in the courtyard, something else became his way. Something else became his truth. Something else became his life. And he couldn't confess what he just confessed an hour ago. Now he's confessing something totally different with a bad attitude behind it. I don't believe you know that, man. Man. If you could just understand this for a moment. But then we see later in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19, Peter is so down on himself. Peter is so condemned. Peter feels like such a failure that Jesus now resurrects, right? And Jesus visits them by the seashore and all that. He has breakfast prepared for them. And he calls Peter to the side and says, Pete, can I talk to you? I can't believe it's you, Jesus. How did you resurrect? I told you I was going to do it. So Jesus tells Peter three times. Everyone say three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Yes, Lord, you know I do. Yes, Lord, you know I do. And in every one of those, he tells them, then feed my sheep and follow me. See, we believe this here for every single person that's here in the power of grace. And that there is an again in you. That just like Jesus says, if you love me, then guess what? I don't look at what you failed at and what you did wrong. Here it is. Ready? Get back to work. Serve me again. Follow me. Feed my sheep. And we believe that here. So I tell you today, hey, there's a remark in you that the Holy Spirit wants to do. There's a grace for you that's going to tell you, hey, get back to work. Serve the Lord again. Come on. Feed his sheep. Come on. And I love what Jesus ends with Peter. He says, follow me. Come on, remark. Remark. You're called to be remarkable. And if you thought that there is not a grace strong enough to make you remarkable, oh, yes, there is. There is a grace that is powerful that can cause you to be remarkable again. Not normal, but remarkable. How many of you could say amen? I have two more points and we're done. You can give us some praise. He deserves it. He deserves it. Number two, everyone say Mark. Yeah, Mark. The word Mark in remarkable, if you ever want to look it up, it means a visible impression, a trace on something, a visible impression. And I believe this, that if you've been touched by God, there is a Mark in you. Write this down in your notes if you can. Part of being not normal is living a life with a mark. Part of being not normal is you live with a mark on your life. You live with a mark. And the Lord has always left a mark on his people. In the Old Testament, we see God making his covenant with Abraham and his offspring, who we would know who would be the Israelites later on. But in Genesis chapter 17, if you get a chance, when you get home, read verses 9 through 14. I'm only going to read part of 10 and 11 to you. God tells Abraham, hey, Abraham, you and your people have to keep my covenant and tell that to your children and your children's children. And he says this to him in verse 10 and 11. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Verse 11, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign. Everyone say sign. sign. Yeah. A sign of the covenant between me and you. You know what the word sign means there in the Hebrew? The word sign in the Hebrew means a distinguishing mark. It's like a banner. I like this one. A remembrance. 
That, 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 you, that you do this to your male children. And then when they see that and they gaze upon that, people will recognize that there is a mark on the people of God. Well, how is this biblical to me? I live in New Testament and past New Testament times. Well, here it is. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, Paul writes, How now one who is in Christ is not circumcised in the flesh like the children of Israel had to be in the Old Testament. But we have something that's more important than circumcision of the flesh. Paul says in the book of Romans that rather than being circumcised in the flesh, we are now circumcised in the spirit. So all over his scripture, his mark is upon his people. His, our hearts are now circumcised, no longer our flesh. Whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, whether you're a Cuban or a Puerto Rican or an American, full-blown. Whatever you are, it's easy and it's, it's all over scripture that if you're in Christ, there is a mark upon you. That you're not defined anymore by all those things, but that you're defined by the mark that Christ has placed on you. That you're not exempt from it. That Christ is in you. And now you are noticed. There is a visible impression. There is a trace that something, something supernatural has happened to you. Come on. Has something supernatural happened to you? Were you one way, one moment of your life, and today you just think different, act different, live different, dress different. Everything about you is different. And someone says, what's different? I've been marked by the presence of God. There is a visible impression on me that God is alive in me. I was once dead. Man, am I alive now? Ephesians 1.13 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that when you believed, guys, listen, when you believed, say when I believed, when you believed, you were marked. You were marked. In Christ, with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Hey, come here. Try to take my tattoo off me. Try to take it off me. Because no laser, nothing that man could ever do, can steal the mark that Christ has placed on me. My mark is eternal. My mark can never be erased my mark is forever. My mark is found in the person of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been marked. We've been marked. You've been marked with a seal. You can write that down in your notes. Everyone say, what's the seal? You know, I'm kind of scared to get seals on me. Like, what's the seal, man? Are you talking about like that 666 stuff, bro? What kind of church is this? <laughs> oh, man. The seal is so powerful. You've been marked by a seal. And it's going to come back up now. Give it a second. I'll read it to you. What you've been marked with, the seal, it's the promise. The promised Holy Spirit. And if we say we're not normal, if we say that we are remarkable then there is a visible impression. There is a trace on us. We have something to show. There is, there is this change in us. If we know Christ, then we give evidence to the truth that we know Jesus Christ. Amen? We know if someone knows Christ, not just by hearing what they say, but how many of you could say this, but by what? Seeing what they do as well. We could all say a lot, but can we all do what we say? The life of Jacob is a life that we've spoken a lot about here in this church Jacob in the Old Testament was a deceitful, crooked liar. And we could go down the list of everything that he was. He was a lot of things. I'll give you an example. He steals his brother's birthright. He takes the father's blessing that belonged to his brother Esau as well. Not for him. So what happens at, the, at his life here? He's now on the run. He's in the run for most of his life. Let me tell you why he's on the run. Because his brother Esau is about to kill him. He's so upset at him that Jacob is running. And in his run, if you have the time tonight when you get home, write this in your notes. Genesis 32. In Genesis 32, starting on verse 22, it gives us an encounter of what happens. Some man stands. This is good. I love what the Lord is showing me. Some man just stands before him and starts to wrestle with him. I, I know for a fact that there are some people here that feel like Jacob. That you've ran on a journey. You've ran down a certain path. And out of nowhere, something just stood in front of you one day and says, I'm going to change the path that you're going in. I'm going to wrestle with you for a little bit because I have a greater outcome for you. 
So Jacob starts to wrestle with this man in the book of Genesis, chapter 32. And as he wrestles with him, it's very interesting what happens. We come to find out that it's God, and he dislocates Jacob's hip. I mean, come on, Jacob, you don't stand the chance against God in the flesh. It's not going to happen. You're not going to win. And I love that he dislocates his hip. The Bible says that Jacob walks with a limp forever. I love that not only was there a spiritual mark, but God also left a physical mark. <laughs> You're going to limp. So when everyone says, why are you limping? Why am I limping? Because God touched me. I'd rather walk with the limp because of God's touch than walk straight in a pattern without God touching me at all. Come on, man. Some of you got that. And he changes Jacob's name from Jacob, deceiver, to Israel, meaning triumphant. Here's a man that never felt triumphant. I'll prove it to you. Because everything that he's ever gained has always, was always done through cheating. That's not triumphant. That's just a cheater. That's just a cheater. So he was always felt like a loser. He's always felt like everything, all my medals and all my trophies that I've ever gotten, it's always been through deceiving people. It's not really mine. He knew that. He's a grown man now. He's over 80 years old. He gets it. But he's wrestling with God now, and God says, I'm going to change the vision. I'm going to change your perspective of yourself. I'm going to change how you view yourself. I'm going to change everything. I'm going to start from the inside out. Watch this. I'm going to start just with your name. I'm not going to even call you Jacob anymore. I'm going to call you Israel because you went from a deceiver, and today you're triumphant. And, and in the midst of this conversation between him and God, there's a cry that comes out of Jacob. And he tells this to God. Read the story when you get home. You'll see. He says, God, I'm not going to let go of you. I'm not going to let go of you. I'm not going to let go of you. You know what I think happened to Jacob? He's touched everything in life, and nothing has satisfied him. Even through cheating, nothing has satisfied what he's attained. But I can't compare that thing to Jesus, but to God. <laughs> I was going to touch it and say, God, I'm not going to let go of you. But that's not going to be good. But out of nowhere... He touches God and says, I'm not letting go of you. This is forever. Don't go anywhere. Stay by me. And I know that there are people in here that have been on a journey and God has stepped in your life and you've touched God and God has touched you and you've come to a point in your life where you say, God, I've he's touched me one day and I've never let go of him ever since. How many of you have been touched by God and today you're here because you've never let go of God since? Anyone here? Guys, look around. No, keep your hand up because I want to give God some praise for this. Look around. Give God some praise for these people. If you didn't raise your hand today after service, you're going to raise your hand. God's going to touch you, and there's a touch that you could give to God and never let go of him again. Jacob, what happens to Jacob's life? What happened to these people's lives that just raised your hand? Here it is. Ready? He took a hold of something so great. For the first time of his life, he feels a sense of accomplishment, worth, purpose. No longer live in the same manner, tired of everyday normal, normal life that brought nothing good to him. Now he recognizes I'm not normal, and I have a hip to prove it. A, a limp to prove it, a dislocated hip. And there's a feeling now in, Ab um, in Jacob that is remarkable. In Jacob that is remarkable. That in Jacob's dysfunctional life, in his running, he runs into the Lord and the Lord comes into his path. And listen to what I'm about to tell you. The Lord does not come to, this is how most of you view God and forgive the church if they've ever told you this is who God is. This is not only who God is. Most of you only see God as getting in your path to fight against you. I'm sorry that churches have told you that over and over again. God did not get in your path just to fight against you. That's a condemning spirit that people have that they want to control your life. How about if God didn't come into your path to fight you and just to wrestle to make your life miserable? But how about the Lord came into your path to embrace you? And to show you, I know things have been horrible. And I know that you were called deceiver. And I could tell just by your name, it's Jacob. It's a horrible name to call yourself when you're a deceiver and they, they did that to you. I'm sorry that your parents did that. But from now on, you're triumphant. 
From now on, I'm not here to destroy your life. I'm here to what? Embrace your life and to show you that, Jacob, you're no longer going to be the same again. I'm going to make a mark in you that you're going to be remarkable and you're never going to be normal again. Jacob, I know you can't even see tomorrow for yourself, but I'm going to give you a glimpse of the future. Out of you will come a nation. I'm changing you to that nation's name. Your name is now Israel. And watch what I'm going to do for the rest of the history on planet Earth. People all over the news and world leaders are going to meet all over the world all about your children. It's going to be called Israel. Welcome Welcome home is where my presence is. Welcome home, Israel. Man, that's powerful. He names a whole nation after him. And that's what he does with us. We think at times that he's fighting with us, that his plan instead maybe it's just to embrace us, to make a mark, to put a mark in us, a visible impression on us that God is there, that God loves us, that God embraces and says, There is another chance. You can be remarkable. You did not and you are not called to live a normal life. How many of you could say amen because that's exactly what has happened to you at some point in your life. It's happened to me. Man, it's happened to me. It's happened to me. And if it hasn't happened to you, we believe in today that it will. Praise God. The last point, and we are going to wrap it up. Not yet, not yet. We're going to wrap it up in a few. Is able. Everyone say able. You know what able means in remarkable, in remarkable? It means having necessary power. You've ever felt like you just didn't have the power to do something? That's me. My wife said, can you put this in the shed? I just don't have the power to do that. No, but seriously, spiritually, just don't have the power. Even physically, just don't have the power. The word able means having necessary power legally, to be legally empowered. I know many of you that are here today know this story, but I'm going to read it anyways again. It's the story of the three Hebrew men. Let's just listen to the words. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 12, I'm I'm going to fly through this, guys. I'm going to really read just 12 through uh, 15. Catch this with me. There are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you've put in charge of the province of Babylon. But king, they pay no attention to you. You're... Your majesty, they refuse to serve your gods and they do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. See, Nebuchadnezzar was an evil king. He built up false gods and everyone in the land when they played certain music were to bow down and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's false gods. So they come to tell on these three Hebrew boys, Shad, Mesach, and Abednego, and they're not worshiping your gods, King Neb. Look at verse 13. So Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. And he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they would be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true that you refuse to serve my gods, to worship the gold statue that I have set up? Why would I worship gold when I could worship the one that created gold? Whatever. It's weird. I will give you one more chance to bow down, worship my statue that I've made. When you hear the sound of the musical instruments... And if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then, and then, everyone's saying then. Yeah, what a dumb statement. What God will be able to rescue you from my power? I love when people think they have power over us, when in reality, there's only one whose power we, I mean, come on, man. We, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have given King Nebuchadnezzar the authority to have power over their lives. It's all about who you allow to have power over you. You know who has power over our lives? He does. It's your fault if you've allowed someone else to have power over you. (laughs) Because you've allowed that. You've given that person authority. But I believe that that's a bad choice of words for Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't going to end good. When you say this to three faithful men, what God will be able to rescue you from my power. You know what's wrong with King Nebuchadnezzar? You haven't really read in the whole word of God. Because if you would know anything about the word of God, you would know that the person who put you in that power is God. He places those in power in the positions that they hold. So King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not going to be threatened by your power. Because we live under a different power. Look at verse 16 in Daniel chapter 3 with me. Ready? Ready? Say, I'm ready. ready. All right, good. You're with me still. This is the last point. We're almost done. 
So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I love that. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able, say able, yeah, to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, king, that we don't serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. That is powerful. I mean, we know the rest of the story, hopefully. If you don't, go back to that chapter, read it. It's good. They don't get burned up. God actually is able to do this. Read the story. But I read this and I recognize that I, my charge to you as a pastor, as a friend, as a brother, and as a leader in the church is to tell you that you are able. I don't know what the conditions that man has put on you. I don't know what authority you've allowed people to have over your life. But I know that in the presence and in Christ's authority that you are more than able. I'm going to read some scripture to prove that to you in a second. But you have a God that not only rescues you from the fires of life. Listen to this. Write this down in your notes. But in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life, we have an awesome testimony that he also stands in the fires of life with us. You've ever gone through a fire? How many of you have experienced God in the middle of the strongest fire in your life? Can you stand up for a moment? I'm sorry. Can you stand up for a moment? You guys know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Now, why did I do this? Because there are some of you in here that just like they're standing, I believe this today. If you open up your heart today, get ready. God is going to rock you. And you're going to see that in the middle, in the midst of fire, that there is a God that not just relieves you from a fire. Come on. But there is a God that stands with you in the fire. Now, you guys have stood here. How many of you guys are still in that fire? If you still are, stay standing. The rest of you can sit down. I want to talk to you guys for a second. The Holy Spirit moved there? <laughs> you guys stay standing. You're like, still in the fire. Man. And you've been saying, when am I going to get out of this fire? When will I ever finish this? God, I'm trusting you already, man. I'm believing you in this already. But how about if God is just saying, I know, I know, I know it hurts right now. But I want you to experience me in this fire. I want you to feel the embrace in this fire. I want you to know me in a way that you'll only know me if I leave this fire burning. How about if God is saying, I'm scared to turn the temperature down. Because then I'm scared that you're not going to know me the way I really want you to know me. So when is this fire going to end? Maybe the answer is soon. But I'm sorry to tell you that this is going to be a place that you're going to hear the truth. But maybe the answer is not soon. Maybe for you guys, the answer is when you come and get home. I'll turn off the fire. But as long as you're in the fire... Embrace the one who stands with you in the fire. Some of you that are in the fire, you've ever recognized, like, why am I in this fire? Why am I in this fire? Now I want you to look around. Because there's someone else that's in a fire. And if you weren't going through the fire for that such a long time, how will you ever be able to relate to her? How will you ever be able to relate to him? How will you ever be able to relate to him? How will you ever be able to relate to him? I'm in a fire. But guess what? I have good news for you. I'm not going to tell you that the fire is going to end today. But I am going to tell you that there's a God who stands with you in the fire. You're not alone in your fire. And if you look around, you actually have others that share 
in some of your same struggles or in some that are even different from yours, that you could strengthen one another while being in the fire. The persecuted church is the strongest church because they're in the fire together and they stay faithful in the fire. You're being persecuted, you're being broken, you're being burnt. Man, put on that cologne of the fire and say, smell me. It smells like fire and God stands with me. God stands with me in the fire. I am able to withstand this. Because God is with me. Give yourselves a hand for not letting go of God. If you stood up, give yourselves a hand. You may be seated. Man. Man. That's now when the Holy Spirit says, shut up and end this before you kill it. Man. The God whom we serve is able. I'm skipping notes, man. Able. I feel the presence of God here in such a powerful way. The word able means legally empowered. So for you guys that are in the fire, for you guys that have been in the fire, for you guys that are going to enter a fire, he's legally empowered you. Say that. He's legally empowered me. Disciples were a mess. You've ever read these words like, man, I wish I could have been one of the disciples. Listen, the disciples were a mess. Don't lie to yourselves. They were so messed up. We, you know what we do? We, we dehumanize. That's the right word, right? We dehumanize people. And we make them like something that they're not. Who do you watch on TV? You watch a famous pastor? He's not what you probably even think he is. He's a human being just like you who has struggles and weaknesses. Who probably goes home and fights with his wife. Goes home and his kids probably can't even stand them. Let's be honest. Just be honest. Maybe not. Maybe he has a great marriage, man. But trust me, there's weaknesses in other areas of his life. Don't do that to people. Better not do that to me, that's for sure, because you're going to be very disappointed as soon as you hang out with me one day. You're going to recognize, oh, yeah, this guy sucks. I just hold on to God. That's it. If you're going to do anything I do, just hold on to God the way I hold on to God. Because other than that, I don't do anything that I do. Just hold on to God. The disciples were a mess. They were a mess. Jesus knew they were a mess. He left them a mess. No, he didn't. Of course he did. If not, they would have been preaching all over the place. They went back to fishing. The heck were they doing fishing? <laughs> what are they doing in the boat? And you know what they were doing when they were fishing? They weren't even succeeding. They were there all day and all night and they hadn't caught one fish. Because you might be able to do a good thing and you think it's in for God's name, but if it's not God's thing for you, that good thing is not of God and it's not going to succeed. You need to do the God thing, not necessarily the good thing. Come on, someone. So they're out there and they're a mess. And they went back to their normal lifestyle. The Lord had to interrupt them again. In the book of Acts, the Lord says something special. And I guess I'll end with this. Maybe one more verse and we're done. He says, he said, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that I've promised. John baptized with water, but in a few days I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. You ever been filled with the Holy Spirit? You ever had the Holy Spirit fill you? No, we're going to be that church. You ever had the Holy Spirit fill you? Listen, there's other churches that don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe and have you ever felt and have you ever experienced the power of the Holy Ghost in your life? My God, that you wake up at 3 in the morning and you start praying for someone, that you're in prayer and things start rumbling out of your mouth, that you don't even know what you're saying. Have you ever just been in prayer and you start to have intercession over someone's life that you didn't even care about or even know about? Have you ever looked at someone and you said, thus saith the Lord your God. I don't know what it is, but God's given me a word for you that's come straight from his throne. Have you ever functioned under the power of the Holy Spirit? We're remarkable here, man. We're not normal here. Not going forward, at least. Not going to have that kind of place. Not going to be that kind of Christian. So you go in a few days. I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You could grab this Bible and you could try to twist it in many ways you want. But there is not one scripture in heaven or in hell that you'll ever be able to convince me that the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit is still not for today. There's, no, there's just no chance that you're going to ever be able to prove it to me. You're going to lose that one. I promise you, you will. It's there. It's powerful. We're able to legally be filled with a power. And he says in Acts chapter 1.8, I'm going to end, so I'm skipping a lot. 
He tells his disciples, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. They were fishing just a couple days ago. But no longer fishermen. You will be my witnesses and you will tell people about me everywhere. Where, where, where? In Jerusalem and throughout Judea and into Samaria, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What is Jesus telling them? I am making you able. I am legally empowering you to free people everywhere and to begin building my kingdom. So how do I do it? Let the Holy Spirit work in your life. Let my presence fill you. Let home be where my presence is. Man, these disciples thought that they were going to get an earthly kingdom. But instead, what they were going to get was an eternal kingdom. Well, God, does that mean that we're going to build your kingdom and destroy Rome? Jesus like, no. I'm going to actually, I died. I really did die. I'm going to go now and reign at the right hand of the Father. You're going to take over now. And what you're going to build is not for Israel. What you're going to build is for every Gentile, for the, every Samaritan, and for the ends of the world. What you're going to build is not an earthly kingdom. Hey, listen, we got a lot of cool things happening in our church. And you got a lot of cool ways to get plugged into this church. And you could go to the Hype Center, and you could fill out a card, and you could come up here and be part of our worship team. And you could go and become part of our kids. And you could go and you could become part of the outreach. But know this, not for once are we building a kingdom called New Life. We're building a kingdom in eternity for Jesus Christ, for his glory, and for his praise. We just want more people to get involved. We just want more people to feel the vision. We just want more people to see what we're doing. Not for the sake of what we're doing, but for the kingdom of God. There is an eternity that awaits. We got people that are dying. And you, you are being called to the front lines. How do I do it? How do you do it? This is what we're going to do. We're going to worship the Lord. If you got to go home, we love you. We'll see you guys next Sunday. We have no midweek rest this week. But we're going to have a call. And we're going to worship. No one's going to pray over you. So if you feel like you're called to pray over someone, come and talk to me before you pray over anyone. But I want you right now, when we come up here and you say, I want this power. I want this. I want God to fill you. And I want you to come up to this presence. And I want you to release it. And I want God to do it in you. I want you to get hungry for it. How is it going to be me? It's going to be you. You're going to be called remarkable. You're going to be called to do these things. God is going to fill you with his presence. You're going to be legally empowered. Say, I'm going to be legally empowered. I'm going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me. Man, these, these disciples didn't get it, but in Revelation 12, 14, it says, Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations. Everyone say 12. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They thought they were building an earthly kingdom, but when they got to eternity, they saw something beautiful. There were 12 foundations with every single one of their names. You know what Jesus was saying? You built an eternal kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. And I'm going to prove it to you, Peter. I'm going to prove it to you. Disciples, walk around the eternal kingdom. Your names are written on the 12 foundations that make this place home. Can I be honest with you? I don't want my name to be written on the walls of man. I want my name to be written in the walls of eternity. I want to walk into eternity and God says, come, 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 come. Look at the wall I've built. It's got your name on it. You mean to tell me, God, that I was part of building your kingdom? Heck yeah. And just to love you and to honor you and all that, I even do this stuff for you. I put a name on a wall for you. <laughs> Remarkable, notably, conspicuously unusual, extraordinary, worthy of notice, worthy of attention. I really end now with Romans 8. Let's just put that one up. Verse 31 through 39. It says, what then shall we say to these things? You know what? Let's stand up together. Let's stand up as we get ready to close. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Man. 
He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. I told you he came not to condemn you, but to embrace you. And furthermore, it is also risen in who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. You think someone that's fighting for you at the right hand of God actually stand in your path to destroy you and fight against you? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Come on. Shall tribulation, hey, you guys that are standing in the fire still, what shall separate you from the love of God? That fire is causing you to burn, burn in your love for God. Shall tribulation, should distress, should persecution or famine, should nakedness, pearl or sword? For it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. Verse 37, yet, someone say this with me, in all these things, yeah, 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 let that soak up. In all these things, in everything that I just read, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Do, do, you, do you hear what he just said? We are legally empowered. We are more than conquerors. We are able through him who loved us. The Greek meaning for this phrase, more than conquerors through him, actually means this. Vanquished beyond. Your gain surpasses the victory. And then he goes on in verse 30 and he says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, principalities, I told you, nor powers, you give them power over you. Shame on you. Shame on me. Shame on us. Nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing. Yeah, not even your gold statue. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Where is this love of God found? Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I read Romans 8 and I say, man, that's it, man. That's the statement of being remarkable right there. To be notably, conspicuously unusual, to be extraordinary, to be worthy of notice or attention because of the Christ that lives in us. How many of you can say today, I'm not called to be normal? This is what I want to do. We're going to worship. And, and, and Tito Alley, David's up here. Just, just let go. Just let the Holy Spirit just use you guys today. And I know it's late. And I know there are important things to do today. Normally we've been ending early. Normally we do good with time. But today I'm not going to even worry. I'm not even going to look. I don't even know what time. I'm not going to even look at it. It's here. I'm not going to look at it. Don't look at it either. But if you really do have to go, go. Next Sunday probably won't last too long. Maybe it will. Maybe it will be shorter. Who cares about none of that? Who are we to plan God's ways, right? But right now, if you need to come up and you need to say that message was for me and I want to be legally empowered, I want the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon me. I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be normal. There's grace for me, remark. Note again, there's a grace for me, remark. There's a mark in me. I want that, that it would be a visible impression that God is with me, that God has touched me in a special way. And in Remarkable, I'm also going to recognize that today I am able through the Christ that strengthens me through the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I want to be called into this remarkable lifestyle, into this remarkable person. So we're going to do this. We're going to sing a song. I'll see you guys next Sunday. If you need to run out of here, we love you. Trust me, we're not going to get bothered, hurt. You're not going to break our feelings as long as you come back next Sunday. If not, then you're going to break our feelings and we're going to get hurt. But we'll see you next Sunday. But if you just need a touch from God and you need God to rest over you and you need his presence like never before, come on, I want to come alongside you and believe with you. The altar's open. If you want to kneel, kneel. If you want to raise your hand, raise your hand. I don't even care what you do today. If you want to lay, lay down, be 
proper whatever you do today but but right there as we're in worship I want you right there to cry out I want you to say Lord I'm not called to be normal I want to be able I want that mark in my life I, I know that there's a remark there's a grace in me again that flows from eternity to me so if you're on your knees or if you're standing with your hands open don't close your heart for what the Holy Spirit wants to do right there where you're at start to say this ready Holy Spirit fill me Holy Spirit, just fill me with your presence. Holy Spirit, just baptize me, submerge me in your waters. Holy Spirit, consume me with your presence. I don't want to be the same anymore. I want you to fill me with your power. Fill me with your strength. Cause me to be not normal. With everything that you got, pray that, pray that, pray that. Don't wait for someone to come and pray for you. Don't wait for someone to come and say something to you. God has spoken to you today. God has said something to us today. And say, God, here I am. Fill me. Rest over me. I want to go home. And home is where your presence is. Let me go home today. Fill me. Yeah.